Welcome to the Family Biz Show. According to Family Enterprise USA, family businesses in the U.S. account for over 64% of GDP and employ 62% of the workforce. In other words, they are the backbone of our economy. But success doesn't come easy. Only 13% are operating in the third generation. The Family Biz Show is here to help. Listen in to hear stories from other family businesses and industry thought leaders so that you and your family not only survive, but thrive. Welcome, everybody, to the Family Biz Show. I am your host, Michael Columbus from Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. And today we've got a very special show for you. Um, we are joined by Ryan Margolin. Um, and Ryan um, owns Professional Hair Labs, which is a world leader in cosmetic bonding, um, which I don't know a thing about. And um, Ryan, you know, has a family business. He's got family members working with them. So I think we're pretty excited to have you on the show today and learn from you, Brian. Oh, Welcome. Thanks, Bill. No, thanks. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to uh, having the chat. Yeah. So one of the things that we like to do is just kind of you know, allow our guests to give their, you know, what was your journey getting in, you know, working in a family business, um, just your past life before, you know, doing what you're doing with professional hair labs and we'll take it from there. Sure. Uh, well, look, my journey started predominantly in, in sales and marketing throughout the years. I had different jobs uh, with different companies. And in 2009, there was, or 2008, 2009, there was the economic downturn. Uh, forced everyone in existence to kind of reassess where they were at, where they wanted to go. And an opportunity aligned pretty well at that point. My father had a business. Um, I was located in Ireland at the time. He was in Florida. And he had said to me, look, you know, I'm not happy about certain things, the way the business is going. It's not growing. It's stagnant, uh, fluctuating between certain levels of revenue each year, but can't really seem to break that threshold. He was like, do you want to come over and have a look, see what you think? And initially, the answer was no. I didn't really want to move myself, my wife, and my daughter at the time. Um, I only have one daughter at the time, sorry, I now, now have three kids, uh, but I didn't really want to root them up and move them, but we, we reassessed it and we decided, look, I mean, what's the worst that can happen? You know, things aren't really great here. We have an opportunity to reassess and try something new, so we eventually went, and I spent the first six months learning about the business. Uh, my parents have always been involved in the hair replacement industry. They own hair replacement studios uh, in New Jersey, New York, and Florida. And what happened was in the early, um, kind of, or late 2000, uh, or kind of, no, sorry, 19, about 1990s, the early 1990s, my mom got chemical poisoning from the products that she was uh, working with, and it forced her into early retirement. So my dad sold the businesses, uh, and he focused on creating a product line that was safe for clients and for technicians. And that was the profession that, that was kind of the inception of professional hair labs that actually started in 94. And then in 2009, when I flew over to join, um, took a look at what was going on, learned as much as I could about the business. And really when it all came down to it, we changed three really simple things. There were key things with simple things and it allowed us to triple revenue and realize that there was other opportunities and possibilities. And we had validated the product 
and uh, we were ready to start exploring global opportunities, which is when two years later in 2011, we opened up our European location. And from there, it's kind of built strength on strength. So that's, that's the kind of bird's eye view of the backstory. That's great. So basically, it's kind of the same as mine. I was in sales working for Xerox and, you know, kept hitting the glass ceiling, you know, and it's like you're trying to move and, and dad said, you know, knock, knock, knock. I swore I would never be in business with my father. So, you know, dad was a wealth advisor before me. That's uh, and then the rest is history. I love it. Yeah, but that, that, that's the beauty of it is that, you know, as much as you, you know, have plans, uh, things change and uh, you, you can have things that you want to stick to that you don't end up sticking to in the end. But look, I think uh, what's for you is not, you know, it won't pass you by. So I, I think it's just about going into every opportunity with an open mind. Yeah. And, and I think the other part of it is that there's a built in trust factor. It's not like a stranger calls you up and says, hey, take a look at this. This is, you know, your family who has always had your back. Even when you were frustrated with them, they still always had your back. Yeah. And, and look, I mean, there's pros and cons to that part of it, too. But I think, you know, at its core, when you remove all of the you know other variables, I think that's what it comes down to. It comes down to communication and trust. Yeah. So talk about the business a little bit, you know, if you don't mind, what is the, what's the evolution, you know, where you started, what are you doing today? What are some of the toughest things that you've overcome in running the business? And what are some of the things that you're most proud of? Yes. So the company started uh, solely as, as a, a provider of products to the hair replacement industry, the non-surgical side. So we would have provided uh, cosmetic bonding adhesive, shampoos, scalp treatments, those sort of products that would help individuals maintain a healthy scalp before they attach their wig or their hairpiece. And over the years, the company has developed from that into manufacturing its own um, product line and other custom formulas for other companies in the cosmetic space as a whole. So body care, skin care, hair care, we really diversified our portfolio of abilities and naturally heavy investment had to come at the back of that to, to, to grow uh, in that manner. So that, that's really where the company started. Now, what, where it's at right at the moment is uh, it's at a crossroads. You know, we, we've opened up the whole scope of the cosmetic industry to what we can provide. But what we've realized now, it's, it's not just about uh, the products that we supply. It's about the education of what's really going on in the cosmetic industry and why companies who don't manufacture their own products in-house uh, you know, why they need to be careful about who they choose as their manufacturing partner. So education has become a key part of that. And fortunately for us, we've always been in a position where we've never had to rely on selling our information in terms of the education. Uh, so we always just provide it free of charge. And naturally, the byproduct of that is built relationships and sales. It sounds like there's a, a core purpose and some values behind your company that might be a little different in the rest of the marketplace. Yeah, and I, I think it all it all comes from the initial concept of why the company was started, and it was putting the safety of clients and technicians at the forefront of everything we do. So, everything we put out, we will make sure that it is as safe and effective as possible in terms of performance. Great, and so I know that you know we didn't sign up. We're talking about family business here, but. You know, family business is 70% of the businesses out in the world. And I have to believe that some family members probably use your product somewhere along the line. So 
do you mind sharing maybe some of the differentiating things with your product and, and maybe even like, you know, give a little education to the people that are on here about these things. Do you mind doing that? No, no, I, I can give a quick overview of it. So typically in our industry, from a bonding perspective for individuals who have lost hair through hereditary means or whether it's health issues, like if they've had cancer and they're going through chemo and they've lost their hair naturally, they, you know, hair is a very intimate thing. It doesn't bother some people when they lose it, but for some people it's detrimental to their mental health. So naturally they need a solution for that. So in our industry, it's really two types of products. They're solvent-based and there's water-based. Naturally, solvent-based are not really safe for skin use. As you can imagine, the, you know, the agents at which you mix into them are solvent. So our industry hasn't been governed, say, by the FDA or any authority uh, throughout its history. So what's ended up happening is that a lot of the manufacturers have literally gone away with murder, and they've been able to mix their products with, say, ingredients such as toluene, xylene, hexane, derivatives of gasoline, known carcinogens. And what we wanted to do was change the way the industry operated, create a new application process with a water-based solution that didn't have chemicals. And that's the difference between the two products. You know, typically most products in the market right now would be uh, solvent-based, whereas we provide the safe water-based solution. And it's become hugely popular, not only for individuals who wear hair now, but it's also transitioned over into, you know, say, film, theater, uh, eyelashes, eyebrows. Uh, so there's a whole range of, of, of use for the product now that we didn't originally have in our scope during development. That's interesting. You know, it's funny when, you know, where purpose comes from. And for you, it was very personal. Um, and out of that came something incredible. Um, I have to believe, you know, just looking at your bio and things that we've, you know, that we've done pre-show, um, you took a product, you know, and distributed it, distributed it nationally, but then you made that big jump, didn't you? Tell us about that. How do you, how do you take a product from, you know, we, we handle things in the U S here and now we start switching that internationally. I think there's a lot of family businesses out there who, you know, have done a great job in the U S but haven't made that switch. And and that's a great question because to me at the very beginning of the journey, say in 2011, 2012, it was probably the biggest learning curve for me. So say in 2009, spent some time learning about the business. We did some small things to grow the revenue. We tripled it. And I was like, okay, you know what? Cool. You know, we've got this and I know what we're doing, why we're doing it, how we're doing it. So let's take those same principles and methodologies and let's just bring them into Europe and let's go ahead and dominate that marketplace. Not so fast. Yeah. So that, that, yeah. What I basically what I implemented in the European side fell flat in its face. So it was a huge it was a huge eye opener for me uh, in terms of uh, when you're dealing internationally, you've got culture, you've got language barriers, you've got just different demeanors of individuals who do business and how they do business. And that took me a long time. I like when I say a long time, it took me a good year and a half to really come to terms with how to develop those business relationships. And when you start to get one or two, you start to, you know, obviously gain a bit of momentum and the, the product supply and the product awareness in the different countries then become more evident, but it becomes easier to deal with people then. So that was a huge learning curve for me, especially coming from a family business. It's like, okay, look, we know we've tried and tested these methods, they work. Let's just go ahead and duplicate that. But 
It's never that simple, no matter what country in the world you work in. And as a collective in a, in a family business, you have to be willing to, uh, you know, remove the veil of fear of making those mistakes and amongst each other, because you know, you're there for the same purpose and you're going to make those mistakes and you need to be able to lift each other up and have each other's back when things aren't going to go right or when things are tough. And there's been many of those moments. Yeah, I, I think it's that that mindset that you just kind of alluded to, fail and grow, fail and grow. And, you know, one of the things I, I heard from a parenting perspective is a great question to ask your kids as they're growing up is, what did you fail at this week? Yes. And, you know, and, and make failure really something to be celebrated. And then what did you learn from that? Exactly. And, and, and that's, I think, you know, that's a whole other topic of conversation that I think as you, you get older and you get more experience, you realize that there was a lot of things that maybe weren't done for you as, as a child or growing up that you felt might have had an impact on you for the better. And those are the things you try to give to your kids. So, you know, in today's day and age, I think more specifically in today's day and age, it's vitally important to be asking those questions because Life isn't, you know, roses. Eh? You know, you're going to have hard times and fail more than you're going to win. But it's yeah. in those failures that the, the, you know, the opportunities come. So it's important that you keep your kids aware of that. I, I wish I would have had that growing up rather than the constant shielding and trying to be protected, you know? Right. Yeah. What I had that was the driver for me, and I, you know, love and respect my father, obviously, but I never really felt he said no you can't do that an awful lot how's that yeah, yeah. And every time that would drove me when somebody says you can't do that that's like i have to now you well, know it, it, think about that for a minute though it's like when somebody says to you you can't do that or you shouldn't do that all that's being done there is that they're projecting their fears on you right and you're looking at that and if and if you continually hear that what you allow into your brain will eventually become the, the wheel that turns all the time. And it's one of the, you know, what fear and anxiety are two, I think, are the key drivers in people's progression, and especially in a family business, because you have different personalities. And while sometimes things don't go well, or you don't see eye to eye, the love is there and, and the care is there. So you need to be able to be, you know, to have that, that, that mindset shift of being empathetic enough to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, because you might not be able to, always relate to the fear and anxiety they're feeling but you also need to be strong enough to say Let, let's break this down for a minute and let yeah. me share something with you that might help you right now in this moment so it's a it's important to have that circle around you, you know it, it's vitally important so how many family members are in the business today so in the daily operation there's three of us there's myself and my two brothers uh, my dad is he he's more of a board member at the moment so he basically comes in as a high level executive you know side to provide feedback or decisions on things that um that that, that need to be made with the operations but the, the daily operations are with just myself and my two brothers and are you all located in the same city are you in different cities no uh, my my brother daryl he's located in ireland uh but my brother david is in florida because we have two locations we have one in florida and one in ireland so um, brother david is the chief operating officer he makes sure the operations are running smoothly over there and then my brother daryl's vice president so he would kind of be heavily involved in the processes of say sales communications and stuff as you were going through and growing the business how did you decide what was the decision factors for who 
gets, you know, which title and roles and where are you at? How did that work for you guys? It was some very honest conversations. Uh, and I remember it very clearly. So we were at the point where for many years, uh, the lack of experience, we didn't realize the importance of having a succession plan in place. When we realized, you know, look, we're on a really heavy growth uh, curve here. And if we don't do something now, um, it's going to be nothing but detrimental to the business down the line. So we, you know, we sat at a table for a, for a day or two uh, discussing many things and had some very open and honest conversations. But when it all came to light, I suppose, when we came to the end of those conversations, we realized that we all knew collectively and were comfortable with what we could contribute and what we might not be as strong at individually. And that kind of, when we wrote all those down, it just, it was very clear on paper who, who needs to have what, you know? And yeah. uh, from that moment, we just said, you know what, this makes sense. We made the decision and we move forward. Uh, so that, that's really how everything came together. It wasn't, um, I've seen in certain family businesses where things can be a power grab, you know, collective of egos come together and everyone's fighting for what they, you know, what they see as the top position. But yeah. realistically, um, that's not always the best way to do it. Uh, in my eyes, it's about finding out what, you know, what each individual has to bring to the table, where their weak points are, and then making uh, um, logical decisions about who should be, you know, in charge of the company, who should be in charge of departments, and who should be in charge of operations. And I think it fits very well for us, fortunately. A, a family business coach that um, I've worked with in the past says one of his favorite questions is, what would be different here if this wasn't a family business? Yeah. And, and for, you know, for you, you've already made those decisions. You did exactly what's supposed to happen. We do a skills assessment. We talk about them. We're honest. We work together to say, okay, based on these skill sets, here's where everybody needs to go. And we put the titles in there so that we can just run a company because the family part is different than the business part. You know, and, and, and you're 100% right. And, you know, there's always, there is always a crossover at some point, you know, no matter what your responsibility or your title is, like, I'm not really a firm believer in titles per se, but obviously they have to exist as part of a structure. Um, but I do find that there's times where it crosses over. And I think it being, you know, the important part of having good communication is that when that crossover happens, you're open enough to realize it's like, this isn't somebody trying to impede my space. This is a this is a group of us that are that are going towards the same goal, and uh, if there's some feedback that crosses over into it, so be it. It's it's a moment. That's all it is. Right. If you're if you're playing in Ireland, it would be football in America. It's yeah. soccer. But you can't have all strikers. You can't have all goalies. Somebody's got a coach. You know, it's just, if you you've got a playing field, and you have to remember that there's competitors out there that are trying to score in your net. And if you don't play the game right, they're just going to eat your lunch eventually. And, and that's exactly it. Um, but look, I, I think, you know, for us, uh, looking back on the last, say, five or six years, um, you know, we've learned to uh, take with the, the good with the bad because they're just moments. And, um, you know, look, at in those times, as I said, where it does cross over, we're, we're all open enough to know, look, this is only a situation that has to be solved. And then we go back to normal. Right. What when you go back and look at? I mean, you've been doing this for a number of years now together. Yeah. Um, how long have both brothers been involved in business? Was that pretty soon after you came in? Yeah, that's great. Two thousand and nine for me, two thousand and eleven for my brother Daryl, and two thousand I think thirteen for my brother David. So there's there's only four years in the in the space uh, where you know there was one of us versus all three of us. Okay, 
when you look at not just the business itself, what are some of the things in that 20 year period where they were, they rocked the foundation of where you're at. It was tough and you guys were able to pull through. Can you give us like just a story about, you know, something that was tough that you made it through? Yeah. I think it's a, th th that question is really about perspective because if you look at some of the toughest times where we've had to make decisions, fortunately for us, they weren't based on financial uh, issues that we were having. Sure. Were more so more so based on lack of knowledge and the ability to, to be in a position where we had to push ourselves out of our comfort zone to learn. So for example, when we were, you know, the company predominantly from 94 to 2009 operated in the low six figures. Uh, by the end of 2011, it was high six figures. So we tripled, we tripled the revenue. Uh, two years after that, came seven figures uh, plus. And then two years I'm going to ask you to pause for a second because I want to yeah. hit something. So as a take family out of it, just thinking from your business mind, what were the things that helped you to triple? What were the things that then helped you to double again going through, through that stuff? What are the pieces, if you look back and said, if I was running somebody else's business, here's the things that we did that made a difference. There was three things, uh, branding, uh, marketing, and then uh, sales. So in 2009, when I went in and looked at the business, uh, I realized that the branding was, it, it was really terrible. It looked like a very small mom and pop operation, which isn't going to really connect with business mm. professionals. So that's where we started. We stripped everything back, product labels, company logo, branding, website, the whole lot. We rebuilt it. Did you bring anybody in for help with that? Well, absolutely. When it, when it came to design and stuff like that, yeah, absolutely. And when it came to the development of, say, the new website, but when it came to the uh, to the direction of the business in terms of the, the branding guidelines and stuff, the, the full input was on our behalf. We did that. Okay. Uh, we knew what, well, I, I had a very good understanding of what it needed to look like. I mean, I had come from working in, you know, a couple of quite large companies in Ireland at the time. Uh, so I, I knew the way the internal operations with it went. Um, so I just applied those methods to, you know, my learning experience towards, towards this project. Um, secondly, then when we had all the rebranding done, uh, I spent three months manually building, uh, it was about a 5,000 list Excel list of hair replacement studios in the United States. So because I did all that myself, uh, I, I was able to understand in each state, uh, in each area, each county, exactly, you know, where the opportunities may lie. So what we did then is we had a, we did a direct mail campaign, really simple uh, front and back postcard. Front was design product benefits, back was testimonials. And we had some, we had two really good testimonials from industry leaders in, in our space, uh, which had used the product prior to being launched. We sent them out in batches of three and we made, because we didn't want to send them out all at the same time. We didn't have the resources to deal with those types of calls. But then we had a ton of calls, people ordering one bottle. And then that one bottle in four weeks time turned to five bottles, 10 bottles, 15 bottles. And before you know it, it's just a snowball effect. And we had then taken over a lot of the in-house studio work in the hair replacement industry because we knew our product was stellar. It just wasn't being perceived as stellar and people didn't have the opportunity to test it. So those those were the three things that we that we did to, to triple revenue. I love it. And so 
talk about, because I think it's really important, um, especially inside of a family business, where else have you brought in an outsider to kind of for advice? You know, you said you did it when you were going through the branding process and, and the website, obviously. What other types of coaches or market assessment people or whatever you've used? What, it, what have you used from the outside? So I'm, I'm a firm believer is that you have to protect your ears. You have to protect that space between your ears because the wrong bit of advice could send you off on a path that you're not coming back from for many years. So I learned that early, though, thankfully. Uh, so our key points where we uh, engaged external support was when we broke seven figures and when we broke eight figures, uh, because basically when we broke seven figures, our systems broke. They just, they failed to operate. And that was a key thing for us. We were like, going back to the question you had about, you know, times where there was a bit of pain, that was the biggest pain because we had such a high influx of leads and all of our systems just collapsed. Yeah. Uh, so that we brought someone in then. Well, yeah. Can you talk about what, not who that person was, but what did they do? What was their, you know, what was their, if they handed you a business card, what would they call themselves? Uh, they, they would basically be an operations consultant. Okay. Uh, so that, that's what it was. So, but this individual that, that we had, you know, brought in to work with us, he also had a lot of experience working in familiar situations. Um, and not only that, he had, a very deep understanding and an intimate understanding of how processes affect everything. So he was able to actually give us the systems to rebuild everything the way they should have been. And to me, that was a part of the learning curve that was accelerated by at least five years because, uh, and that was very, also the very moment where I realized that, look, in times where you find yourself completely out of your comfort zone and with a complete lack of knowledge, you should be going to somebody else to, 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 you know, to get help because you can't, you could figure it out yourself by making all the mistakes, but you're going to set your growth back years. Right. So, and you might miss opportunities as well. Yeah. So the operations was, was the seven figure mark. And then once we crossed the eight figure mark, it became more about culture. And, uh, I don't like to sound, um, uh, you know, cliche when I say this, but at some point, as the people who have built the company, you have to turn your position from the day-to-day -day operations to how you can support the people who are helping the company achieve the goals that have been set out. And that was a huge part of a transition because you have so many things like, you know, you've got imposter syndrome, you've got a uh, lack of confidence in yourself, um, you have fear and anxiety, uh, you have you have a like a complete uh, misbalance there. And, and to me, I've learned that there's five key principles to uh, putting yourself in the position to lead a company effectively and have people. So that was the big change from seven to eight figures for us. Well, so now you said there's five key pieces. You can't just, can't tease five key pieces <laughs> without telling us what were the five keys for you. Yeah, so the, 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 there was a few, so the the five keys. Uh, like I, I could talk about this all day. Um, I, I think the fir the first key point is you kind of have to you you kind of have to be your own hero and be and believe in yourself uh, because ultimately, when you like when you look at this when you're building a business, um, you can't look for outward approval. Uh, there's going to be a lot of long nights with no applause, no recognition, no anything. And the 
the first thing you do is seek outward approval for everything you do, you're, you're going to go nowhere. Uh, when you, when you start to, you know, build that belief in yourself, and I, I do genuinely think you become so inundated with all of these ideas that you're, you want to do so many things. And in order to do that, you need time. But I, I believe that when you have that time, rather than trying to manage it, you need to learn how to manage your focus because you only have a set amount of time in the day or set amount of time you can actually work. Because look, you've got personal relationships, you've got family, you know, you've got kids. Um, if you switch your mindset to, you know, rather than worry about how much time you have available and what you need to do in that time, learn to manage your focus where you push everything else to the side because time becomes irrelevant. And then you, you're to training your mind to be focused is probably one of the most, the single most impactful things that you can do. Um, if, if, you, if, if, you, if you don't learn how to do that, you're just going to be dragging along the whole time, I believe. Um, and when you, when you do learn to manage your focus, you, you then come across this, this path where you find yourself in this huge amount of momentum, right? And you're going to make a ton of mistakes. And learning that, you know, look, you're going to make these mistakes and progress is, is progress in any capacity. But at the end of the day, you're only really going to truly lose if you stop. So recognizing that is that, look, you're going to, you're going to fail a lot, but don't stop whatever you do, because you never know that that last time that you've stopped or, or the one time that you do stop is the, is the one time that maybe if you've done it, something else is going to change. Yeah you know? And so there's, there's, there's a couple more there. Um, there's, you know, look at surrounding yourself with the right people is key, obviously, uh, surrounding yourself with the right people. You know, you, you have two choices. You can either surround yourself with people who complain, uh, you know, project their fears on you, as we spoke about earlier. Um, or you can choose to surround yourself with people who, who force you to set the bar higher for yourself and don't allow you to sit in a comfort zone because ultimately if you don't try to push past that, you're, you, you know, you're just going to stay still, you know? Um, and then the last piece for me, which we, we spoke about earlier was the fear and anxiety thing. I think that's the thing that can cripple you. And the analogy I'll use is, you know, I'll, I'll compare it to fire. So fire can do two things, you know? Um, you know, and if you relate it to fear and anxiety, if you allow it, it can paralyze you and stop you. You can just stand still and watch everything around you burn to the ground. Or two, you can learn how to control that fear and anxiety for that fire, and it can cook you food and keep you warm. So it's about, it's it really, it is about personal development when you, when you look at all this, you know, it, somebody said to me a long time ago, I can't remember who it was, but it's, if it, you know, it, if you don't have the business that you want, it's because you haven't become the person that's required to run it. And I think there's a, there's a, there's, there's quite a lot of knowledge in that because Ultimately, when you have problems in your business, it's very rarely to do with a problem in your business. It's actually to do with a personal problem, uh, something that you haven't developed yet. So those, those are my those are my insights. No, I love it. You know, and really, when you stop and think about it, I I, I totally agree with everything that you said. I, what I haven't heard before is being the hero of your own story, and I think that's super powerful um, because you know at the end of the day. It's you, your brothers and your father that are doing all the work. You guys, you know, are, you know, in the, in the Star Wars theme, you are the Luke, but yet 
There are times when you brought Yoda in to help with systems and processes. You found your Yodas to say, we, we're still the heroes. We're still the guys. Bringing somebody in from the outside is just leveling up your skill set. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing I think people fear most is that the, the ability to actually admit when they're out of their depth. You know, my, um, it was actually my father-in-law shared something with me. God, it's over 10 years ago now. And he, and he said to me, um, it's based upon a quote uh, from a guy named Dale Wimbrell, I think it is. And he said, um, you know, look, Brian, you can cheat in every aspect of your life and you can be dishonest with everyone around you, but you can't cheat the person looking back at you in the mirror. And that, that to me stuck with me because, you know, you, you, you can build, you can believe your own hype all you want, but if you're not willing to cultivate that honest relationship with yourself, to ask yourself the tough questions when times get hard or when there's challenges in front of you, you're going to stay still for the rest of your life. I, I don't remember where I got it from, but um, I, I call that the 11th commandment. Yeah, right. Okay. Thou shall not fool thyself. Yeah, exactly. No, but that's it. it it's it. And I think that's one of the key factors in, in, in any type of growth, whether it's familiar, a familiar business or not, you know, it's, you have to always look at yourself first. Yeah. Talk about the relationship you have with your brothers in the business. What are some of the, you know, advantages of working with your brother, brothers? And I think we hit on some of them and some of the disadvantages, but can you, let's verbalize them and put them out there. Yeah, look, I, I think on the on the positive side, uh, we grew up in an environment where, um, and we get this from our mother, where uh, we're, we're very empathetic people. And I think that stood to us probably more so than anything as a collective. So we're able to put each, you know ourselves in each other's shoes. And uh, over the years, we've dramatically improved our communications because if we're not talking on a daily basis or even every couple of days, um, things get lost in, in loop and, and things fall through the cracks so for us th those would be the, the two key things now how did you so how, let me ask you this real quick so empathy you learn from your mom which i think is awesome because I, it is so important we have to remember we're always dealing with people whether they be customers whether they be employees or family members and if you can't put yourself in somebody else's shoes it's really hard to understand where they're coming from because they have a totally different thought process than you do. We're just, it's just impossible to be the same. But the, the communication piece, you said that you, you worked on and you grew your communication skills. How? Uh, just by doing it more often. So like, I'm usually a believer that the simplest uh, solution is the, the, the one that's going to make the most impact. So how did we how did we do it by forcing ourselves to communicate with each other more often like at the very beginning there there was times where there might have been a bit of either complacency or a bit of um taking for granted that the individual on the other side of the water or in, in another room was thinking the same way you were and there was a huge learning curve as you said where not everyone is thinking the same way you were and then when it comes time where the roads join you're on completely different uh levels you know and that creates friction and, and it creates uh, it creates problems where if you're talking every day, you can foresee things coming up and you can actually jump over those hurdles before they really become, you know, love it. Just love it. doing it every day. That's yeah. yeah. I'm a big believer that the leadership team should always have a daily huddle, you know, yeah. Yeah. 10 minutes, 12 minutes, standing up, just talking, yeah. or, or, you know, everything on your priority list. Is it red, yellow or green? Where are you at? Well, I'm, I'm yellow. What's going on? You know, let's meet afterwards so we can get rid of that. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's the thing, you know, it, when you get, you know, your reports back from, you know, the management team and everything, um, you do a quick review. And at that point, then it becomes a, a product of, okay, well, look, what do we need to do to support the team to make sure they can knock these off their plate and resolve these challenges? So it, you know, if you're not communicating every day or at least every second day, it becomes, it becomes a struggle. Yeah. I love that. And then talk about, you know, the other side of that. We've got the, you know, what are, what are some of the difficulties that, that have gone through? Yeah. So for us, it was more about uh, setting levels of expectation that were just unrealistic. Um, in a family business, there's swings and roundabouts. And I think sometimes the workload on one person's desk will be way more than the workload that's on the other person's desk. But it's about having the understanding and the open-mindedness to know that, look, this is just the way it works. There's certain things you have to accept in a business. And at the beginning, it didn't. You know, we, 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 you know we, there would be times where we were looking at the balance of, of things inside the business. We're like, there's just a, this is not balanced at all. But then when you look at, you know, over a space of a month, what actually goes on, the tables turn all the time. They're constantly revolving, like revolving and you just don't see it. So the expectation thing was huge for us. We learned to just drop all expectations. And if there's a question, it's asked rather than assumed. It, that goes back to Patrick Lencioni, right? You know, the five dysfunctions of a team. You've got to have that trust. You have yes, to have yes. trust with one another so that you can ask those tough questions so that conflict is okay. Without the trust, right? You can't have conflict because everybody yeah. wants to bury it. Exactly, because it's just easier to do that. And, yeah. you know, look, I mean, sometimes, uh, Sometimes, you know, you can find yourself in situations where you feel that the, the conversation is so overwhelming that you don't want to deal with it. But more times than not, it's actually not. It's just what you're building up in your head. So if you have that trust there to know that no matter what is said in a collective or a conversation, they're, they're just conversations that they need to, they need to happen. They're, they're, there's no one out for your blood. There's no one out for, you know, to try to do something bad. It, we just need to solve this. And that, that's the end of it. Yeah. I agree. All right. Totally off topic. What is your favorite family tradition? Ooh. Um, so typically what we have spent, well, obviously pre-COVID, um, one of our family traditions is that straight after Christmas, we get on a plane and get out of here. Um, we just go, we, we spend either New Year's or after New Year's, you know, in someplace really hot like the Canary Islands. And uh, we just hang out and get that time to reconnect. Because Christmas is a busy time. Everyone is around. And, uh, you know, as a tradition, we just stepped away from all of it. And, you know, we, we have time as a family just to reset and really just get on the right track. Because uh, it is hard coming out of Christmas because everything slows down, you know? Right. So you need that time to just switch back on and take your space and breathe and just be for a week. So that's one of our traditions. Great. No, I love it. Um, for you and your business, the industry that you're in, what would you say are the top three pain points or obstacles that you're dealing with right now? Uh, so in our business, uh, I think the top three, well, I think number one on the list is counterfeits that that's 100% the, uh, the, the, the biggest challenge we're facing at the moment. Um, secondly would probably be resources, you know, look at as, as a, as a growing company in the current environment, it's really, it's a competitive marketplace out there. So it can be a challenge to find, uh, you know, good team members because, you know, that there's, there, there's a lot of good offers going out to a lot of people looking for work right now. So that's the second one. 
And thirdly, um, I, I think ultimately it's it's about supply chains. Um, supply chains, fortunately for us, we've had good relationships for many years and we're heavy purchasers, so we can grab allocations as they come in, but um, sometimes we get caught, you know, and, and uh, those, I think those are the three key things for us. Got it. Talk about the counterfeits for a little bit. I, that's, I, I think if you're in the manufacturing industry and you're supplying a product to people, if it's successful, you know, what they always say is, you know, uh, counterfeiting, I guess, would be, you know, a form of flattery at some levels because we're obviously doing something right. But in the, this international world that we're in, how does that work for you guys and what other people should be looking for? What should they be looking for? Yeah, so I, I, I'm much better with it now. You know, the very you have to remember this because of the mission and the purpose of the company. Um, we're not talking about a handbag or a purse or a piece of clothing. We're talking about something that goes onto the skin. So when you talk about counterfeit items that are uh, manufactured subpar to what we provide, and uh, they they genuinely damage people's health, it becomes a, a, a trigger point for us, you know. And we've gotten way better at dealing with it. But um, back in what what are we in now? The, I think it was 2018. Uh, it was the first counterfeit was online, and I was okay. like. I remember seeing it and I was like, this is crazy. Um, we had the, we, we have, the, sorry, we had and still have the most popular bonding adhesive on the market globally. But um, we didn't have the correct rights to enforce it. And this was a huge learning curve for us. So that one listing turned into 30, 30 turned into 300, 300 turned into 3000 until we have hundreds of thousands of listings online every year that, that we effectively remove. But where they make the real impact is the distribution channels. They, they're able to, to, to move into those channels, and that causes us a, a, an awful lot of heartache. So we've had to figure things out. Um, naturally, we had our trademarks in the U.S., and then we got our trademarks in Europe and then China. So I always say to people building a brand, before you do anything, before you release your information, your product to the world, get your trademarks in the three places, Europe, US, and China. And you'll be going a long way to protecting yourself in the event that you get a product that takes off and does really well. Um, we then, like we, we've had to basically accept the fact that we'll never fully solve the counterfeit problem, but we've developed our own counterfeit software that we use on our packaging. So it's making it very difficult for the, uh, for the counterfeiters to replicate our product now, because if it doesn't have a, this specific code on it, um, it's it's not genuine so we we've launched that about six months ago uh it's in it's in all of our supply chains now so every time we do a test buy online or we get photos online uh the customers can scan it with the app they can send the receipts photos and location which they bought it we can see real-time data of the hot spots of counterfeits and then we send our investigators to 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 uh, to do the test buys and we start to shut them down uh city by city uh, this goes on all over the world, but it's not just the U.S. We've got this problem in the U.K., we've got it in Europe, we've got it in, uh, say, Japan, we've got it in Philippines, we've got it in uh, Africa, everywhere. So um, it, it, this is really the, the only way we can collectively combat it on a larger scale. Now, we did look at it as a really bad thing originally, which it's not great, but we also asked ourselves the question, well, how can we swap this into a positive? So the positive was is that our counterfeits got into places in the globe that we hadn't had distribution channels. So awareness had been made of the product. So we even have, have chased this down and 
flip those people and turn them into, you know, genuine accounts to where they're buying legitimate product now and our products are placed on the shelf. So there's an opportunity in all of it. You just, you have to let it settle and you'll eventually find it. That's great. No, I, lo I love that. Let's flip over to the attracting and retaining employees. What, what are you doing that you think might be different than other people? I know it's a competitive market. It is, yeah. you know, man, it is, it's a, it is a totally different world today. I'm trying to put my fingers on the why, but I do think, I think this gig economy has really changed things and people now can be working from any place if they have a skill set that they can move online or you know uber or you know those kinds of things um and and i think a lot of people retired during the covid piece and that just left a vacuum that you know got, had to get filled yeah there was a lot of moving parts during covid i think you know it forced people to reconsider everything in their life and it forced a lot of people i know even me included it forced me to slow down i got time with my kids during covid and my wife uh that i know i'll never have again and uh, you know i i'm always uh, you know in in amongst the the chaos of it all I'm, I'm thankful for that but for us it's not really so much about retaining it's more about just attracting um, because when people come in to, to work for us uh, and work with us, they don't want to leave because it's an absolutely, uh, and I'm proud of what we've achieved. It's a great working environment. Um, and, you know, look, unfortunately for us, as much as I'd love to, um, most of the work we do here can't be remote. It has to be in-house because, look, we have labs, we've got filling lines, we've got logistics. So most of it can't be done. Uh, unless you were talking about business development or you know, marketing and stuff, which sure. are the kind of key areas that we can allow uh, remote work at times. So uh, it's more so about attracting than retaining. So some of the things that we do, look, we have, um, you know, look, we have benefits that, that we offer, you know, through health insurance and, and whatnot. Um, but we also have a company gym here in Ireland as well. Um, so like there's the, the small little things that we can do, but it, it's really about just, getting people in the door and showing them what we're about because you know we are we we i would view ourselves as you know different to a lot of companies in the way we we handle our uh, our, our our operations uh people don't come in and have people breathing down their neck it's like look there's a clear set of tasks in front of you you know what you have to do and the outcome of our business is predicated around you doing that so go for broke it's your responsibility uh, so that that's the, that that for us is um, where we want to be as a company, you know. But as you said, the hard part is attracting and showing, giving giving us the opportunity to show them, you know. Right. And sometimes it's it's as you're going through the hiring process, it's being smart enough not to bring in that person that that might not be that culture fit, right? That's that's probably that's tough, you know, because anyone in an interview can can make it look a certain way. And look, I mean, there's not a company on this planet that hasn't faced that, you know? Um, we, we've experienced it, and but yeah. that's okay. Look, it's just because somebody is not a right culture fit for your company doesn't mean they don't have a place somewhere, you know? Exactly. They, 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 right people, right seats, right, you know, yeah. right uh, everything. Absolutely. Um, are you familiar with a book called Top Grading? No. Great. So that'll help, that'll help on that helping you through that piece on the, when somebody comes into the door, how yeah. do I make sure that I take them through the paces to make sure I don't bring somebody in that just was a great interviewer. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's just a, his process revolutionized how I hire 
Okay. And it really, and, and, and for me, we're a small team. Yeah. So one person makes a giant difference in my, in our business. I can't have a bad hire. And after going through three or four where they interviewed great, but just yeah. weren't a fit, we yeah. figured out some, some formulas that work for us. So I, I'm a big fan of Brad Small um, and his book, Top Grading. And he's got a whole program yeah. that I just think is worth okay. everything. Yeah. Absolutely. See, this is the beauty about, uh, about, you know, just having conversations because you get to absorb and learn so many different things that you know nothing about. And, and I think that's really it. You know, it's like we live in a day and age where, uh, you know, like it's almost like a difference of opinion means you're the enemy and you're just like, but how do we learn if, yeah. if that's the case? You know, it's like, it's okay. You have a difference of opinion, but you know, I'm getting your side and you're, I'm going to probably learn something from what you say. So you know, do people just need to let the walls down a little bit so they can move forward, you know? Yeah. Um, give me an idea of the vision, you know, what's the vision for your future, for the, the company's future? Where do you guys, what are you guys thinking about next? Um, right now, our sole focus is on the expansion of our cosmetic services. So, you know, to give you an idea of where we're at, um, we're expanding in, in Ireland here where I'm at. Uh, from a 10,000 square foot facility to a 50,000 square foot facility by the end of the year. Uh, in, in the US, we're doubling our uh, distribution space uh, with our warehouses that we have over there. Uh, we've acquired a large amount of land as well in, in, in Florida to uh, facilitate further manufacturing uh, opportunities there. So we're, we're just really knuckling down and doubling down on all the efforts to show people that we're not just a company in the hair replacement industry. We, we can provide and do anything you need in the cosmetic space. Got it. So when you go into that cosmetic space, you know, professional hair labs is the, is the company, is there, do you have to brand each of the lines and each of the things that you're doing? Or is it all under the professional hair labs? No, right now we're keeping it quite simple. So the products we develop that fall into the professional hair labs line, naturally, that's where they end up. Okay. We, we, we have a company called Scientific Cosmetics, which is the formulation company. And that's the company that will allow companies to come in and say, okay, well, look, this is the type of product I want. We either have the base formula already there or we have to make it for it. So we have it very simply separated. Beautiful. I, I love the part of, you know, going back to the branding piece. I just think it was super smart. Here, here we are, we've been doing it this way for an awful long time. There's a legacy to our parents who started the business and it probably was tough for dad to go through and say, okay. Yeah, that, that was, um, that took us, that, that, was, that was a painful process for us because, uh, you know, you had on one side, um, you know, my father who it was his business and, you know, the transition and succession planning uh, was not exactly straightforward uh, and putting yourself in his shoes it, it's difficult to let go of things but the what's the alternative is that you do nothing and you lose most of all of it if you don't make the right plans you know yeah. you, you talk about you know inheritance taxes and estate taxes and if you don't plan correctly to work around those you're going to lose most of it you know yeah so and there's so many things as a family business that you really have to be thinking about it's not just branding but it's the personal planning it's is everybody taking care of what the estate you know the estate tax planning and yeah you're talking about the ip you're talking about the assets um it took us a year and a half to get through just the paperwork alone so it's a long process um so yeah look i mean it's but again it's an eye-opener to you know to show 
the importance of dealing with that in a familiar business or any business for that matter, because ultimately the laws are set there, you know, and that they are what they are, but they're also open to, if you do it, if you strategize correctly, you can, you know, eliminate most, if not all of it, uh, if you do it right, you know? Talk about that for just one second before we wrap up, because I think it's really important. You, you alluded to it a bit on estate planning and whatnot through the last 20 years. And then, and then you know, through the your, your mom and dad started a business before that, through all those years, there was professional, adv professional advice, attorneys, accountants, wealth advisors, whatever, you know, whatever the team is that you utilize as things changed. How did you ensure that the team that you're getting advice from was right through the years? And did you ever, have you had to make changes in that outside advice on the professional side? We changed everyone and everything. So we, we, we found that the team that was in place to guide uh, wasn't experienced enough. And there was, there was certain, um, there's certain benefits internationally between uh, company relationships, especially if you have a group structure, that the whole team that we were working with previously didn't know. So we had to we had to hire all brand new companies. We hired one of the top five firms in the U.S. Uh, we also uh, connected on the EU side with a, a really high level tax consultant that works with huge multinational corporations. Um, and there was an investment to do it, but the investment to do it far outweighed the uh, the cost of not doing it. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I do believe that when it comes time to make that planning, uh, you should be paying for it because the people who are experienced and charge their value will do it right. Yeah, I, I find that as businesses, family businesses, especially are growing, they have these relationships of who got me here and they exactly. who got me here may not be who will get you there and wealth you know, once you break that seven-figure, you know, mark, once you break that eight-figure mark, it, it's just different. It's just like when you had 20 employees or 100 employees going to 700 or I don't know how many employees you guys have today, but... Yeah, well, we only have, like, we have 24 between both locations, so it's not huge. Okay. Know? But we have our lean processes run so tightly that we know what our output is and it just runs really well. So, and again, that comes down to hiring professionals. We, we hired a lean consultant to help us with that, you know? So, right. so, so I, I think that's, it's just important for people to realize that, you know, just be, we have these trusted relationships and it's really difficult to change them, but yeah. maybe every five years or eight years, just to test it, to see who else is out there to get some other, you know, opinions yeah. just yeah. might make sense to protect the family's wealth and to protect, you know, what's going on for you. Exactly. And look, I, I do firmly believe that there's just, there's individuals who are one step ahead of where you are that can give you advice up to a certain point and then you have to move on. That's, that's the natural process of everything. Um, what's succession looking like for you guys, you know, in the next 20 years? Um, I, uh, for, for, for me, um, I, I'd love, you know, let's say in the next 10 years to be a little bit more hands off with everything and start to, you know, enjoy more of my time. That would be a huge thing for me. Um, you know, look, my, my oldest daughter's 15, going to be 15 this year. So I don't have too much long with her before she's off and out doing her thing. Um, but I also think from a, um, from a uh, perspective of, you know, future planning, 
um, we're do, we've done all the future planning for our kids that, you know, when we were doing our own ones. So we know that there's going to be a natural transition there if, you know, fingers crossed that the company is still going at that point. So for me, it's just about setting a, a good foundation for our children moving forward and, and hopefully buying back some of that time for all the front-loaded effort that's went in over the last 10 years. Great. Uh, Ryan, I really appreciate our time today. This is, I think, well, I know that we could talk for another three hours and <laughs> not get bored because there's just yeah. so many things that just fit the way I think. I love it. Um, I just want to say thank you. Um, if you're talking to, you know, one last piece of advice, uh, talking to another family business, if there's one thing that you say, hey, you know, we, we, I know we probably covered it, but of all the things that I talked about, here's my number one. Just make sure you... Uh, make sure you accept the fact that things may not be your fault, but they're certainly your responsibility. Mm. So that, that I think that falls into the umbrella of every single business owner. Many things that happen are not your fault, but you got to fix it. So that, that would be my final piece of advice. Make sure you do that. I love it. And if people wanted to reach out, if you're, you know, wanted to contact you, is that something that, yeah, I mean, especially if somebody is in, in your business, how do they, where do they find you? Uh, LinkedIn is where I hang out most. Our, from a company perspective, we have social channels on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, all the major ones. Um, okay. But LinkedIn would be the main hangout for me. So feel free to reach out if, if anyone is interested. Great. Uh, Ryan Margolin, thank you so much from Professional Hair Labs. Um, again, I'm Michael Columbus. This has been the Family Biz Show. Um, I'm with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. And we really appreciate you listening and look forward to having you uh, listen in on the next episode. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Family Biz Show. We appreciate your time and trust to deliver the best guests and most cutting edge information to help you maximize your family business. Being part of a family is tough. Add a business to that and it gets even tougher. Tune in next week as we strive to ease your journey with the Family Biz Show. The content presented is for informational and educational purposes. The information covered and posted are views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily those of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Michael Columbus is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Financial Affiliates and other fine companies. Family Wealth and Legacy LLC is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.